Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 57, John Bryan. John Bryan is just is the recently retired director of Culture Works. Um, I probably should have looked up what his title is for doing this, but uh, I think he'll explain it in the podcast. And uh, it was a good, it's a long one, and it's he gives he really exhaustively goes into detail about what Culture Works is doing and why. So I guess I shouldn't give that much of an intro about it. I had um, I even mentioned in the podcast how this happened. You know, he I had he came up several times in several other podcasts, and uh, there's also a strange theme of me having parents from the William Fox After School Soccer Program from 1991 on the program. I was just going with it. I think I'm done with the ones that would be interesting to talk to. However, it's not very nice. <laughs> so I'm Curtis Payne. It's my uh, podcast, Tantric Conversation. And uh, I just had to re-record the intro several times, and now I'm frustrated and irritated and don't feel like talking. But uh, I said a whole lot about some things, like I think you should watch Cave of Forgotten Dreams by Werner Herzog. It fits in the theme with this idea of arts and culture it's about a cave that was found in france with painting in it human cave paintings from 30,000 years ago it's pretty uh spiritual it's pretty interesting to look at and to contemplate who these people were and to contemplate how i bet you none of those people know a goddamn thing about jews christians and muslims buddhists and all of that other shit but they were on something that we can relate to without all of that crap. And without, I, I shouldn't call it crap, but all of these divisions is what I will say. Because that's probably a lot more finite group of people. Smaller amount of humans in the world at that point. A whole lot smaller. And uh, it's fascinating to contemplate what art meant to them. What it meant to them to spray red ochre around the, their hand and leave a print of their hand. Or to dip it in something and put it on the wall. Or to draw a bison or a bear or a horse. Again, 30,000 years ago. This is that time when modern humans and Neanderthals were living in Europe at the same time. It's, uh, I don't know. Check it out. See if it has that effect on you. It made me think about stuff. Um, I am, uh. I, you know what? I am fucking frustrated from these previous two attempts to record this intro, so I got nothing to say, and I'm late for uh, a class. I'm going to go take a workout class down at Richmond Balance. I know what I'm going to You know what? I'm going to give a little plug to Pearlies while I'm at it. Kevin from uh, Black Sheep, Johnny Javos from Everything. They opened a bona fide uh, old-school Jewish delicatessen with a twist in the old Pearly space, and I th- fucking love it. It's awesome. And nobody put me up to this. Nobody's paying me to say that, although they should. I went there last night. I went there last weekend for brunch. If you haven't been there yet, it's awesome. And, and get 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 out of that idea that you don't go to Gray Street after you know six o'clock. They're open for dinner. They're open for breakfast. They're open for lunch. And there's, I mean, it's like if you're an a la carte person, if you're like one of those uh, high maintenance, you know, uh, like Sally and When Harry Met Sally types. You can construct fucking anything out of the ingredients they have on that menu. It's kind of overwhelming. I mean, I am sort of one of those people that want it the way I want it, but I, that was almost too many choices for me. 
And there are all these little sections of the menu. You can put this together, put that together, build your own sandwich, have a sandwich they've already built. Uh, their latkes, their knishes, their pierogies, um, their egg creams. Uh, just, it's crazy. It's really cool. It's fun. And it's great ambience, great uh, atmosphere. And they're doing a great thing down there. So uh, carry your ass down there and support some fucking more decent restaurants in the city of Richmond. Let's make our little city of Richmond cool again. Keep building that up. I love it in the uh, down there in the old urban area with all those Art Deco buildings. So dig it and uh, dig this. John Bryan of Culture Works laying it down for me. It's a lot of information to take in, and uh, you might have to take this in two bites. And uh, we are back on schedule. I will be posting at least one of these a week. And I was gone for a long time, but I have not given up because I know that there... I don't know, there's some compulsion that I'm supposed to keep doing this. And uh, I like doing it. I really like the conversations I have, and I hope you guys are enjoying them too. I'd love to hear from you. And I'd love to have some money from you if you feel like, you know, just make a donation on the uh, PayPal thing on our on my website. You know, 10 bucks like you're paying for Netflix. And you can go back. I've got 56, 57 of these. They're, that's a shit ton. It's 57 hours of conversations, in some cases more than that. So it's probably a lot more on average than 57. But uh, that's a lot of entertainment and uh, so forth. So fucking Hook me up. I'm sorry. Anybody who knows John Bryan's listening is shocked by my language. I do apologize. Uh, pardon my French. Let's get on into John Bryan. Get the ball rolling. But I'm just going to go ahead and start recording. And, and this is just a uh, warts and all kind okay. of a thing. Yeah. So now, you have come up, I don't know if I've told you this, but you've come up in... Several of the conversations I've had with other people, from Bobby Gorman, Guar to Carol Pearsall, and then Heather Bailey recently, and always uh, Culture Works. And I was gone from Richmond for five years, so I didn't know anything about that. Last time I, I think you and I encountered each other. What were you doing? You were at VCU in the early yeah, 90s? Yeah, I was there for 23 years. What did you do there? Uh, I came to start the fundraising program for the art school, and okay. I headed that for 23 years. And uh, is that what Culture Works is? It a f- art funding kind of yeah, foundation? Yeah, Culture Works um, um, was conceived by a um, strategic plan that involved the whole region. Uh, Bill Martin, head of the Valentine Richmond History Center, started a conversation about seven years ago. I wasn't part of the conversation because I was elsewhere. But uh, he went to various leaders and said, uh, We've got such rich arts and culture in the Richmond region. I wonder if there's a way for us to make strategic sense out of all of it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and by strategic, you meaning like just so we can see it all together, so we can comprehensively make it all stronger, and then leverage strong arts and culture to help other things, and have some insight into what might be burgeoning over yeah. here, some little thing that may be something bigger later, instead of being the kind of you know get interested once it's already a big thing. Uh, yeah, all, all that and all sorts of other stuff. But he eventually gathered uh, 27 volunteers, mm-hmm. um, uh, executives from the Fortune 500 companies in town, executives from the Virginia Museum and the Symphony and the Ballet and the Black History Museum and the uh, uh, Latin Ballet, uh, executives from uh, 
the Community Foundation, the Robbins Foundation, the Deputy Director of Henrico County, Hanover County, Chesterfield County, someone from the Mayor's Office, and these 27 volunteers said, we'll give a Monday morning a month until we can write a, put together a strategic plan. They found out there are consulting firms around the country that help communities do cultural plans, they call them. Mm -hmm. So they interviewed some, they hired the best one in the country out of Boston called Wolf Brown. Uh, their fee was $125,000. Uh, they, they got the money from all private sources. Even University of Richmond kicked in 5000 Wow. Um, anyway, this 27-person volunteer group spent a little over a year. They got uh, direct involvement from over 3,000 residents of the region, did lots of interviews, lots of research. Um, and then in March of 2009, the 110-page Richmond Region Cultural Action Plan was published. So five years ago this past March, and its fundamental recommendation was we need a nonprofit organization to uh, be in charge of carrying out this plan. Mm -hmm. This is a nonprofit organization that won't create any arts and culture, but it will exist to help all of those that do, including uh, uh, Heather Bailey's Dogtown Dance and her Sparrows, including Carol Pearsall's Fifth Wall including Guar, including the symphony, the Virginia Museum, all that. So Culture Works, um, I was asked to uh, start this new organization, so we put together a name, a board of directors, got the money together, and uh, we had our press conference in October of 2009 announcing this new entity. We do, Culture Works does four things. Uh, we give money away. Uh, we've given away a little over $2 million in grants to individual artists and organizations so far. Where does that money come from? Uh, we raise it all. Yeah, uh, a lot of it comes uh, from the city and the three counties. They put money in a pool each year that we distribute. Um, we do advocacy. If there's an issue that affects everybody, we'll take that voice forward to the decision makers, and then we provide all sorts of services, whether it's uh, services for uh, um, nonprofit arts and cultural organizations, like if uh, we facilitated a board retreat one Saturday for Henley Street Theater mm -hmm. uh, for for-profit And they do the Shakespeare? Uh, they're, they're combined with Shakespeare now. Mm -hmm. um, we help for-profit companies. Uh, Hamilton Beach. You may oh, know, yeah. I didn't know until I took this job that Hamilton Beach that makes all those millions blenders of toasters and, and blenders yeah. is headquartered in Richmond. Really? They have 200 engineers out there at Innsbruck that design these things. Wow. Sold all over the world. They called us. They said, we want our engineers to be able to think more on the right side of their brains. Mm -hmm. Culture Works help us. So we engaged uh, several arts groups to come in and work with them over a year's period. Uh, we do services for government entities. When the uh, governor put together a, a committee to put a monument in tribute to Virginia Indians on the Capitol grounds downtown, this 15-person commission had nobody on it who had ever done any public art or knew anything about public art. Mm -hmm. And uh, they asked uh, CultureWorks if we would sort of hold their hands through this process. At the first meeting of those 15, I think all 15 of them had in mind that the, the monument would be a, a bronze Indian. Mm -hmm. um, by the end of the year, we had brought in public arts experts and gone up with them to D.C. to the Indian Museum there, et cetera. And they uh, looked at uh, proposals from all over the country and ended up deciding on a, a wonderful conceptual monument that has a wall feature, it has some plant features, a water part, and it's the farthest thing in the world from a bronze Indian. Uh -huh. 
Uh, so we were pleased to be of service. And where, to where is that going to be in that? It's going to be on the grounds of the Capitol. Oh. They've selected a site. I don't know how to tell you exactly where it is, but uh, I was there when they did the smoke and the feathers and blessing mm-hmm. the site and all of that stuff. Um, so, again, we provide all sorts of services. If, if um, uh, someone calls and wants something, we, we try to say yes or to point them to the right person. And then also, CultureWorks um, has a responsibility of knowing everything about all arts and culture in the region and being a conduit to all of it. Uh, if you look at the CultureWorks website, there are hundreds and hundreds of links to everything. You can, you can go to Carol Pearsall's Fifth Wall Theater, you can go to um, uh, the symphony. You can all of their websites through CultureWorks. Mm-hmm. You can link to all of them. You can link to about two dozen different events calendars through our website. So that's the the go-to place to find out about everything. So it's a major hub for all things. And where does the line fall between arts and culture anyway? We, I mean, it seems like most of what we are talking about is arts related. What what? Well, uh, for example, the the history museum would be mm-hmm. on the culture side. Okay. The uh, um, uh, Lewis Ginner Botanical Garden in Maymont would be more on the the culture side. Okay. Uh, Science museum. So uh, we do arts and culture. Um, we actually CultureWorks replaced the Arts Council of Richmond, which was 60 years old. Okay. Um, and different from the Arts Council in four different ways. CultureWorks deals with arts and culture. Um, Culture Works serves not just the city of Richmond, but the greater Richmond. We serve Petersburg, mm-hmm. uh, Colonial Heights, uh, Ashland, uh, Montpelier. Um, third, um, we don't do any programming at all. The Arts Council used to do a June Jubilee and a Children's Festival and all that. We don't create anything. Uh, so it's fundraising and consulting kind of? Uh, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah, fundraising, consulting, advocacy—it's uh, like a think tank, you know—to put uh, all of the sort of logistics around, whether it's aesthetics or context or logistics. Those sorts of things are all kind of housed in the brain trust. Of this. And and the 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 part B is we not only help strengthen arts and culture, but we leverage strong arts and culture to help other things, mm-hmm. to help economic vitality, education, healthcare, housing, hunger, jobs. Strong arts and culture can be leveraged to make each of those things stronger. Yeah. Well, the thing that's interesting to me is I think about I came I was gone from here for five years and I've come back with this you know this combination of nostalgia for you know having grown up here and also this fascination with the history of Richmond that I was sort of oblivious to. I think as a young guy, you're always looking forward and what's next and what's on the cutting edge and. And I've just become aware of all of these things like that they used to build boats down here on the river and that there were Ancaro people that built speedboats down there. And that's why it's called Ancaro's Landing. And all of the various sorts of um, industries that have existed in Richmond along the river and, and, you know, that Yingling Brewery used to be down there. You know, that's where it started before I went to Pennsylvania. So it's really interesting to me to think like, you know, but that stuff originated because in private individuals, without any kind of oversight or any kind of big master plan or strategy, they just came and said, "This is a good spot to do this." You know, there's a river, there's farmland, um, it's pretty close to the ocean, all that. And and individual people came along, and we got this, got Richmond, and we got all the things that have happened in Richmond over the years. And and then those same people made the choice to get the hell out of Richmond. You know, tobacco went down and all of this stuff, and they they leave. 
And it's interesting to think, how could we have a directed uh, revival of that thinking about Richmond? It's such a great place to do stuff. And the fact that it's got this feng shui to it, you know, it's got a, um, an, uh, what do they call it, uh, a Taoist thing too. I mean, it's got a river. It's got, it's already, it's based around a, a focal point that could survive. If there was an apocalypse, we could get together and still transport things up and down the river and, and we could go back to the 18th century if we had to. So without that being crazy and idealistic, you know, is you know, how does how do we get sort of attention back to the things archaic revival, things that are good that we had, you know, and and have a directed thing to bring that back instead of individuals doing it, you know, is there's a a lot of examples of that. One that came directly out of the cultural action plan and that Culture Works has had some involvement with is a um, uh, a citywide thing called the future of Richmond's past. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the most divisive part of our past, uh, past is uh, slavery, blacks, whites, all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a direct product of this cultural action plan is gathering African-American leaders, Caucasian leaders, and having conversations all over town um, about our past and phrasing uh, the way we look at our past in a different way in the future. One one big example of that is this um, 150th anniversary of the Civil War is not mm-hmm. being phrased as 150th anniversary of the Civil War. It's being phrased as 150th anniversary of the Civil War and of emancipation. Mm-hmm. So there are there are um, um, recognition that that this 150th anniversary is important for for a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, these uh, creative, uh, these uh, future Rif- Richmond's past um, gatherings have significant speakers, and at, there are a handful of these gatherings a year, five or six. Uh, they get good crowds, and one of them will be in a traditionally Caucasian venue. Mm-hmm. The next one, the, the last one I went was at Ebenezer Baptist Church, mm-hmm. which, is, which is a traditionally African-American venue. And this is really cool. Wade Rawls, who heads the uh, Museum of the Confederacy, has been a leader in this, um, as have African-American leaders together. And everybody's saying this sort of conversation has never taken place in Richmond. So that's mm-hmm. that's one example. But there, there are lots of uh, intentional things like that going on to address the point you were making. And that thing, you, uh, the Native American history Monuments. That's what I think is would be really great to have down in the bottom is something that recognizes both the tragedy of that and the reconciles the fact that that is what the culture of Richmond was and as as messed up as human bondage is that people flourished and created things out of that context. There were huge contributions to the city and the rest of the country. So it's not just the story about what awful thing happened, but what amazing things happened despite that that beginning, you know? Yeah, those were the first artists here, the indigenous peoples. Mm-hmm. In fact, there is a, a great thing in the bottom that happened after the Cultural Action Plan was uh, published. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of the uh, the Indian that used to be at the Diamond. Yeah. Do you know where it is now? Yeah, yeah, on the Lucky oh. Strike. Well, I had Paul on here oh, uh, okay. a while ago, and he told me about that. Yeah. And so Connecticut, that Indian is there perched on the top of uh, Odell's smokestack, and Jim mm-hmm. Snyder, who runs Odell, and there was a, a great dedication ceremony that uh, with Native Americans and tribal dances and music and all of that to um, 
again, pay tribute to the fact mm-hmm. that, that those were our first uh, cultural leaders and first artists. Yeah. They're, they were here first, they, living on, on Churchill and Powhatan Hill and all of that. Yes. So it you know it seems that there's been this breakthrough that you're talking about in, in reconciling because we we can't deny how Richmond started in America and with human bondage and all of that. So we have to have a different conversation about it and reconcile this because this one way or the other this is where we, how we got where we are. The, what's good about where we are and what's bad about our, how we are came through that portal, you know. And I think it's very hopeful that people are talking about it in these terms and and that you don't have to downplay the you don't necessarily have to not mention the civil war to put it in a different context you don't have to not mention slavery to put it in a different context and and for us to own it you know because that's i think the hardest thing about richmond it's this real lodestone around the neck of the town uh, that i think subconsciously there's shame rather than pride you know going on and 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 how do you recast that culturally to make it something that we we acknowledge, you know, and we accept about the past, and we say, you know, it is shameful, but it also led to that's how this city got built, yeah, you know, and I don't know, I guess I, you know, I grew up here in these in the public schools, and and we we just didn't talk about it, you know, I mean, it, it was alluded to, it was felt, but it wasn't talked about, and it's it does seem that what you're saying is that it's we're able, there's more conversation. The uh, uh, yeah, their intentional conversation and proactive attempts to to make that happen. Uh, one thing I learned on this Indian commission helping them is uh, I I didn't know much about Indians. Um, I've been to a couple of powwows and that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. What I didn't know, Curtis, is that there are about a zillion tribes. Yeah. <laughs> in 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 Virginia, a lot of them overlap Richmond. And the tribes see the world differently from one another. Mm-hmm. So at that first meeting of this 15-person commission, I think there were five tribes represented. And when one of the representatives would say, this ought to be a, uh, the monument, the other four would immediately say, no, no, no. And then when another <laughs> one said, no, no, no. So if one would say, this is black, the other four would say, no, that's white. This one says straight, and the other says But at the end of this year, all of them... Um, uh, unanimous uh, agreement on what this monument would be. So this this new conversation is not only um, good for uh, black versus white, uh, uh, Europeans versus Indian, all, but but good for the populations within those mm-hmm. communities. Uh, but there are two things going on. One uh, to address what you were saying. One more conversations and recognitions of of, uh, challenges from our past, but simultaneously the willingness for everybody to put a spotlight on the really neat things in our present. Mm -hmm. Um, Richmond has some best-in-the-world superlatives here, ranging from, uh, I don't know if you're aware of the American Youth Harp Ensemble. No. (laughs) Headquartered in Richmond. I think they're in Australia as we speak. This is a, a... an orchestra formed of harps played by young people. By young people, I mean high school and younger. Mm-hmm. It's the premier such orchestra in the entire world. They've done several world tours. They've played the White House, the Kennedy Center, the uh, Carnegie Hall, plus the great stages around the world. Best in the world right here in Richmond. And I, We've got lots of best in the world, but I'm doing two mm-hmm. um, examples, right. ranging from that to Guar. Right. 
which uh, four years ago at a gathering of arts marketing professionals in Providence, Rhode Island, which I attended, was voted the most outrageous band in the history of the world. <laughs> so this is a community that that uh, uh, from which all sorts of really cool things on, on all parts of a multifaceted spectrum are allowed to blossom and be great and all that. Why do you suppose that that isn't our perception in general of where we live and of Richmond? And it is, it takes, that I'm not aware of this harp ensemble, for instance, and there's an awful lot I mean, the average person in Richmond who isn't like an ex-VCU student and hasn't kind of orbited around Gray Street and whatever that lives on the county has no idea at all <laughs> what's of value in the city. Do you do you think it's suppressed? Do you think that um, we don't? It's an insecurity thing, or what would if you had to hazard a guess? Like, why are we not so aware? Uh, it's you an know? easy answer, uh, and it relates to uh, uh, one of Yogi Berra's famous quotes. He was talking about some restaurant, and he said, nobody goes there anymore because it's too crowded. <laughs> uh, that's the answer. Do you know how many active bands there are in Richmond? By active, play at least six paying gigs. There are over a 1,000. Wow. So saying, wow, this band plays lots of gigs? I've never heard of them. Why? The reason is there's so much of this stuff. Mm-hmm. There's is one mind doesn't have a capability of knowing about right. it all, and that's what's been the best part of this job I've had at CultureWorks for the past six years, the responsibility of knowing about all this stuff. So mm-hmm. I've discovered all sorts of I've got a vantage point that nobody in Richmond can have. It's impossible mm-hmm. to to get all this stuff right. in mind. So, well, you're uh, trying to earn a living and just go about your business and keep a household. It's well, it's hard I, to be aware of all of it. You can you can probably be aware of a, you know, a few hundred things, but we have uh, uh, a little over 140 uh, non-profit arts and cultural organizations, the 501c3 category. Mm-hmm. On top of that, we've got lots of for-profit arts and cultural organizations, ranging from the national to comedy sports, which is an improv group, mm-hmm. all sorts of for-profit mm-hmm. arts and culture. On top of that, every faith-based organization in town has a wealth of music programs, mm-hmm. dance programs, arts programs. Every Parks and Rec area has a whole pile of stuff. Mm-hmm. Every high school and middle school and elementary school has arts right. things that are open to the public. VCU alone has over 300 open to the public, public invited arts events on its campus each year, plus all the others outside. Same with University of Richmond at the Modlin Center. So there's just there's there's 18 zillion things. So I could list you know a thousand that you'd never heard of. Yeah, yeah. So and the reason again back to your answer, the reason you haven't heard of the American Youth Harp Ensemble, if that were located in Kankakee, Illinois, for example, everybody would know because it'd right. be one of the only things there. One of the huge feeders for all of this is Virginia Commonwealth University School of the Arts. Right now there are 3,000 full-time students there. Professionally Just in the School of Arts? Yes. Professionally studying the visual arts, the performing arts, and the design arts. And every year after graduation, a third of those decide to stay in Richmond to make their careers. Yeah. Two-thirds leave, but a third. This is this has been that way for right. 30 years. Since I went there. It's a huge, <laughs> huge engine that, mm-hmm. that feeds all this stuff. And it's part of the reason 
uh, Richmond's so fertile for uh, exciting and innovative things to happen. Well, and I, I mean, I that's partly what I'm talking about, but there's also a sense that we are second place. I mean, amongst like my peers, ever since I was at VCU, there's this sense that we're not good enough. That you, if you really do want to like be taken seriously as one of these bands, you have to go to New York or LA or Chicago or whatever. I mean, bands like Guar and Lamb of God and a number of others have proven that to be erroneous. But there is this sense that although we are on the center of the eastern seaboard and right on 95 and all of this kind of stuff, that we're somewhere remote. You know, I mean, are you aware of that that sort of perception that there's there's sort of a lot of of those people you're talking about that that third that stays in Richmond, they tend to have an a, an attitude about themselves like they they're not doing anything. You know, they're just waiting tables and that you, you, know. you can't make it in, unless you make it in New York or somewhere. Right, right. Um, yeah, there, there there are three things I can say about that. First. Richmond's the 43rd largest city in the United States. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you set up shop here. There are, you know, 1.3 million people who live around here who can. And is that, are we talking about the city, like the legal limits of the city of Richmond? Or are we talking about uh, Chesterfield, it's, Henrico? It's and, called MSA, which means the Metropolitan Service Area. Okay. Um, That's 1.3 million? Uh, yeah. So um, we're the 43rd largest MSA in the United States. So as far as getting people to come to our stuff and all that, we can't compete with cities that have, you know, 5 million or 10 right. million or 4 million right. uh, MSA. So that's one thing. Um, the second thing is there are so many people creating arts here compared to other cities our size mm-hmm. that there's a ton of competition if you got a thousand active bands there are only yeah. so many people who can show up right for, for right. bands the whole audience know. is bands so <laughs> your band again in Kankakee Illinois would get much more attention and much than it would in Richmond mm-hmm. and then uh, the third thing you, you no matter what city you go to we Janet and I lived in New York City for four years in Manhattan when was that uh, in the 70s, class, yeah. lived on a six-floor walk-up. Um, the 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 way artists make their living is the same in New York as it is here. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them, you know, wait tables, right. drive cabs, all that. That's 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 normal everywhere. So that's that's. Uh, I used to tell students at Virginia Commonwealth University, if you're coming here because you're going to think you're going to make a living, you need to drop out and do something else. Right. You need to be in this school because you're compelled to be here you can't not do it right um so that's just that's the nature of the beast uh as far as feeling um uh second class because you're making it here in richmond rather than somewhere else um i can see how people might feel that way i totally disagree with that thinking and i think it has changed a lot in the last five years but in the in the 90s you know, when I was in college and coming out of it, and and the first decade of the 2000s, that was kind of that was the attitude. There's know? a a couple of neat things that have happened just in the last few years. You know about Outside Magazine's search for the best river city. I don't know if mm-hmm. you saw that. Uh, do you know Outside Magazine? I don't even know. Oh, no. it's it's the uh, for several years now. It's been the trendy magazine for people who uh, do rock climbing and who do uh, uh, trail biking and who do 
all sorts of outdoor things. They have the best writers in the world. Uh, John Krakauer, who wrote Into Thin Air about Everest, mm-hmm. uh, premiered that in Outside Magazine. Okay. It's it's the magazine. They had about a, um, a two-year search for the best river city in the United States. A surprise city won it. Richmond, Virginia <laughs> won it over over the rivers in you know in uh, Colorado mm-hmm. and. St. Paul but, and Minneapolis. Uh, you know, they, they had all these. Outside Magazine was sure it was going to be some wild river somewhere mm-hmm. in some city. And they kept getting letters from people saying, you need to take a look at Richmond. What's, they flew their uh, uh, journalist into town. Um, they took the journalist from the airport down to the pipeline. Do you know the pipeline mm-hmm. area? Yeah, yeah. They had a swimsuit. They had a snorkel, a mask. And they said, go in right here. He came up, he said, holy smokes, I just saw a catfish the size of a torpedo. <laughs> and when I came up, kayakers were coming by me. And then they got him out, got him dressed, and walked not very far to a wonderful restaurant. Mm-hmm. And he saw the blue herons. And he, and he went back to uh, Outside Magazine saying, we need to pay attention to all these votes we're getting about Richmond. Mm-hmm. So after looking at the October, last October's, uh, almost a year ago's issue of Outside Magazine said... We have found the best river city in the in the country, and it's a surprise. Hmm. And it had a photo of Richmond on the cover. So that's that's one thing that that makes Richmond really cool that was never expected. The other thing, and this uh, happened maybe a few years ago now, uh, U.S. News and Rural Reports magazine ranks the 214 art schools that give MFA degrees. That's mm-hmm. the terminal degree in visual arts, as you know. Master of Fine Arts. Yeah. Um, there are 214 of them, and they rank them. Um, when I first came to VCU, VCU wasn't listed among the top 50. Um, we got a, a new dean, I don't know, Rick Toskin came, and he said, it's my goal for VCU's art school to be among the top five in the country of the 214 in U.S. News and World Report. And I remember when we first crack the top 20 and blah, 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 blah. And now it's uh, VCU's ranked number four. The other three above it are all private schools, Rhode mm-hmm. Island School of Design, Yale, and I can't remember the other one. Uh, so VCU says it's the number one public art school in the country, but the punchline's coming. U.S. News and World Reports also ranks the specialty arts programs, painting, printmaking, sculpture, etc. In the arts world for, I don't know, the past 20 years, sculpture definition of sculpture has been basically anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, a sculpture could be Curtis Payne's thoughts mm-hmm. at 8 a.m., noon, and at 8 p.m. That could be a... That Duchamp kind of thing. And, <laughs> well, it, it could be something you can't even see or touch. A, right, right. Uh, so lots of sculpture departments around the country have changed their name. Uh, VCU is called the, the Department of Sculpture and Extended Media. Mm. Again, which means anything. Yeah. That is the sexiest part of art in the world, sculpture. There's a there's a there's a big show in Germany called Munster Sculpture, which is all these conceptual things going on. So U.S. News and World Reports ranks all the sculpture programs of the 214 schools. Yale had been number one forever. That's where Maya Lin was when she did the Vietnam Wall. Mm-hmm. Until several years ago, VCU is number one. Wow. So it can it you can argue the case that the most creative, innovative, young art minds in the world 
are right over here at VCU Sculpture Program. This is where the, the crazy things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I worked there, every year I'd go over there and walk through those sculpture studios and student by student, I'd say, tell me what you're working on. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll share one guy that just now came to mind. I can't even, Matt, somebody, he had a, uh, he had some little, uh, three by five picture frames that were wrapped, um, uh, that he had bought at Walmart. You pay, uh, five bucks for mm-hmm. three little frames. And I said, uh, I said, what do you do with those? He said, I'll show you. He cut the shrink wrap off, pulled them out. He pulled the, each one had a picture of a, um, a model in it. It'd be mm-hmm. like Curtis Payne and his cat right. standing there, you know, <laughs> just to, you know, demonstrate. He pulls that out. Then he goes over here, the exact same size with the same writing on it, three for $5, whatever, of his family. And he slipped it in there. Then he put the shrink wrap back on it. Then he took it, took it back to Walmart and returned it, and it got restocked. <laughs> that was one of his That's pieces. That's awesome, yeah. And he was doing this at Walmarts everywhere. A second one, he had a uh, roll of Walmart uh, cash register tape. Of course, it's all um, heat sensitive, so there, you know, there are no keys that strike anything. Mm-hmm. He had figured out the, uh, um, the chemistry on it. And he had made a rubber stamp of his face. He would put it in this liquid stuff and stamp the register tape. And he'd move it forward, stamp it again. He'd do this a whole roll. You couldn't see anything because mm-hmm. it was like invisible ink. Mm-hmm. And he'd roll it all back up. Then he'd take it to Walmart and just lay it on the counter, lay it, you know, at one of the checkout areas right. near the machine. And every time someone would buy something, it'd ring up everything. And behind all those numbers, you'd see Curtis Payne's face. <laughs> and then the third thing he had. <laughs> I'm laughing at the idea and the fact that you keep using me as an example, which is awesome. <laughs> the third thing he had, did, he had thumbtacks. He had little tiny photographs of himself made, the mm-hmm. size of the head of a thumbtack. He glued them on with very permanent glue. Then he painted white over it. He would take these to public places, lay them, tack up. The theory is that you would step on it, mm-hmm. and you'd walk a while. And as you walked, it would scuff off the white paint. The next time you're sitting down, you'd say, oh, there's a thumbtack with somebody's photograph on here. Mm. So, <laughs> but that was one of the crazy brains, and this was 15 years That's ago. That's my favorite kind of stuff, too. Like- and that, the uh, uh, I, I'd say that uh, VCU sculpture program is like Star Trek, boldly go, going where no man has gone before. And that's where Guar came from, basically. Like <laughs> it was the sculpture department mixing with the band. And yep, that's exactly right. So uh, anyway, there's um, 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 I've forgotten what point we were on, but uh, VCU is a huge well, theater is, for for all this stuff going on in town. And we, you, you know, and I believe that, and we, and I, I think we are gradually accepting that that like. And overall, the gestalt of being in Richmond is that we are at a great place, not a place to flee. But amongst my peers, it, the story has always been like, you know, I did this. You go away to New York for a while, you always end up back here. You know, like you don't that 
that somehow this isn't the destination. This is some sort of a trap. Like people have called it the velvet coffin for many years because it's very easy to make a living. Uh, you don't have to try real hard. There's not a lot of. I mean, there is that competition you're talking about. There's a, a lot of bands and people are kind of jaded, but they also don't take these bands very seriously because they're Richmond bands. And there's been brilliant music coming out of here since you know at least until I was aware of the late '80s. You know, some of the real like you know trendsetters or mold breakers like that everybody will refer to honor roll they they came out of here you know Penn's first one of his first bands like in the late 80s but there's always this kind of sense that like oh you were stuck back in richmond you went back to richmond you got sucked back in and you know there's talk that there's actually an indian curse on richmond that said no maize will grow here after they were you know run off and and i think that 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 has been a perception for a long time i don't know where it came from why we participated in it uh, but it does seem like that's gradually going away, and maybe that's got a lot to do with what you've been doing. The it- Culture Works, on the, the month that Cultural Action Plan was published that said there shall be this organization, that's March 2009, that was the month that the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the stock market, hit bottom. Yeah. That was the month that Circuit City closed all of its stores. Mm. That was the month that Bernie Madoff got convicted for stealing all those billions of dollars. That was the month that China had its worst economic downfall in its history, the month that Japan had its lowest exports in history. That was the bottom. Mm -hmm. Uh, Richmond is unique among all the cities in the United States that are middle market and big market in coming out of this recession without losing any of its main arts and culture organizations. Twelve opera companies in the in the United States closed. The Charleston Symphony that had been around for 76 years went bankrupt because of the recession. Every city lost major arts and the culture Met organizations. The New York was in trouble, what? wasn't it? The... New York lost organizations, not yeah. the Met, of course. But uh, Richmond is unique nationally. It emerged with everybody intact, with a, a Virginia Museum that came out of it with 150 million expansion, a center stage with a 75 million expansion, and on and on and on. Um, so there's something about Richmond, but I'll, I'll give you one more of these national things when you're talking about New York. This is directly out of New York. Uh, I had never heard of an organization headquartered in New York called the Conference Board. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people haven't unless you run a Fortune 500 company. The Conference Board is the world's leading purveyor of business strategies and business research. You've heard of the Consumer Confidence Index? Mm -hmm. The Conference Board publishes that. Okay. They publish a lot of stuff you've heard of. They have offices all over the world, New York City, Beijing, Mumbai, Brussels, Ottawa, but their headquarters is in New York. Their CEO's name is Jonathan Spector. I was at one of these national things, heard him speak, Afterwards, this was five years ago, went up to him and I said, what are you telling the CEO of Exxon and other big CEOs during this recession? He said, I'm telling them two things. One, if you can figure out how to think differently, it'll help you get through the recession and help you get a leg up on your competitors. He said, I'm also telling you that a great way to think differently is to engage yourself with an artist. Mm. Artist brains are wired differently than yours. Brainstorm with an artist. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. A punchline is coming in a couple of minutes, Kurt. <laughs> I saw Spectre again a year later at another national gathering. 
I said, you don't remember me, but I asked you this a year ago. Are you still telling people? He said, yeah, but now I'm trying to figure out a way to uh, really discuss this. He said, what I'm going to do, I'm going to go into five major market cities, and he listed them, San Diego and New York and Philadelphia and Tampa and Minneapolis. And in each city, I'm going to put in a room together 12 corporate CEOs and 12 artists all day long and let them talk about this. He said, I'm going to call this a creative conversation. Curtis, I convinced him that Richmond needs to be the place where he does the first one. Oh, wow. So in November 2012, Jonathan Spector made his very first ever trip to Richmond. CultureWorks put all this together for him. We got 16 corporate executives uh, from Altria, from Dominion, from Midwest Vaco, from... Locals. Genworth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. 16 Mm -hmm. of Richmond's. Richmond is a really good business city. We have uh, six Fortune 500 companies that have their international headquarters here, 11 Fortune 1000 companies. And we had 16 artists, 16 corporate CEOs, 16 artists, eight hours together. First four hours were at Altria, second four hours at a room at the Virginia Museum. The artists, you'll like this. I got to pick them all. Uh, we had, you know, a, a, a painter, a poet, a sculptor, a dancer, a this, that, and the other. But we had a tattoo artist. We had an aerialist, Heather Bailey. We had um, Dave Brocky. We had Stephen Smith, who's the music director of the maestro for the Richmond Symphony. Mm-hmm. And I, I still want Gore and the Symphony to do a concert together. Yeah. But um, I had been asked, uh, the conference board called me, uh, oh, maybe six weeks before this thing took place and said, can you put together an artistic interlude after lunch? Maybe get an artist to do something Mm -hmm. for the group for 20 or 30 minutes. So what I did, I called Stephen Smith of the Symphony and Dave Brocky of Guar. I said, you all have never met, but you're aware of each other's music group. Right. (laughs) Would you two consider coming to the front of the room, each showing a five-minute video of your music ensemble, and then discussing with each other and the group your creative process, how you work with your colleagues to make your music. Um, this was a huge, huge risk on my part, mm-hmm. but it was glorious. It was wonderful. And okay. the two of them hit it off great. Uh, that morning when they arrived, they had never met, and I introduced them, and I said, my dream is for your two groups to do a thing together. And Brocky says, you know what we could do? We could do Mozart's number and Smith finish the sentence for him. Oh, wow. And Smith <laughs> said, because in that third movement, it, and then Brocky finished that sentence. Wow. So too bad Dave uh, died. And uh, that uh, one of the corporate executives uh, who was there um, invited Brocky and Steve to have lunch with him about six months later. So the three of them had a nice lunch together talking about stuff. But Jonathan Spector was never able to replicate this in any other city. Wow. And the reason was uh, three reasons. One, it's hard to get a corporate executive to wipe his calendar free for eight hours. Yeah. And when we gathered these people, we said, you have to be the whole eight hours. You can't. Um, second. You've got to leave the BlackBerry at home. And really you've got to be here. engaged. Yeah. And, and that's almost impossible. We are small enough and had enough good personal relationships that mm-hmm. we could um, second other cities um, there were too many 
people that wanted to be the chief cook in the in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia, for example, the mayor's office wanted to be in charge of this thing. Yeah. The Chamber of Commerce wanted to be in charge of this thing, and they couldn't work out the inner workings. And then third, um, there was not a um, an organization um, similar to Culture Works in any other city. Uh, there are lots of Culture Works organizations, but usually. The nature of the beast of what culture works is you're usually involved in some sort of fights somewhere. Mm-hmm. We we weren't. We didn't. We had not made any enemies yet. So, yeah. And still haven't. I hope. But uh, so it was those three elements that allowed it to take place here. And he's tried elsewhere and he hasn't. But he still, when Specter lectures lectures in the United States and all over the world, he still talks about what happened in Richmond, what he learned, etc. This is this is a big big deal. Yeah. Uh, because of that, um, this is Richmond. Because of that, um, the conference board once a year has a, a three-day gathering for the money givers of the biggest companies in the world. The, the guy with Intel who you know gives their grants away. Mm-hmm. The guy at, you know, you name it. Uh, a year ago last summer, summer of 2013, this annual gathering was in Detroit. And for the first time in its history, uh, for the three-day gathering, there were 35 different speakers. For the first time in its history, they started it off with a keynote address by an arts person. They got Jane Alexander, the former um, head of the National Endowment for the Arts and former actress. Yeah. And she was followed immediately by a keynote panel that included uh, Bob Lynch, head of Americans for the Arts, um, the guy, a guy with the Detroit Symphony, a woman up there who runs a business committee for the arts, and John Bryan from Richmond. Mm-hmm. So CultureWorks was at this gathering of the, uh, again, the head money giver for Intel was there for Procter and Gamble for Exxon. And uh, they're doing, they have another gathering each year for corporations that give away less than $10 million a year. Uh, And that council will take place uh, in Richmond in October. In Richmond, it's gonna take place- Next month. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. gonna take place at Mead West Vaco. And once again, they're having um, an arts focus is just part of it and uh, I'm a one of the panelists for that so Richmond is is seen as um, the best in this particular way by the conference board mm. out of New York that's a worldwide organization so there are lots of stellar things that I see from my unique vantage point mm-hmm. at culture works yeah and that's a I guess you know the the thing that I noticed is that when I dabbled in being a creative person, that when I lived someplace like New York, the you felt like you had to do something and you had to compete, and there was this pressure, and and also just that, I don't know, you may, it really fires up the ego, and I think you have to be a person of a certain kind of ego to go to one of those places and say I'm going to go there and make it, I'm going to be the one, you know, and I think the differences in Richmond. And that thing that it probably lends itself to not having so many chiefs and a lot more Indians is a lot. It's funny we got the Indian thing continuing through this, but um, that there's so many people that are willing to be part of something, not be the star, but to be, you know, a member of this thing, to be a community. Yeah, and and that's one of the great things about Dave is that not only did you know Guar rise and fall on this huge ensemble of people of all kinds of talents and skills and all of that. Um, he was able to be the front of that thing, but he also 
you know, really gave a lot to that. But he also, they all recognized the other people that were doing things in this town and tried to support them. It wasn't like, if you succeed, then I fail. It was like, we all succeed together. There's a real community attitude about that. And I think um, that there's enough for everybody here is becoming more of the, uh, the prevailing attitude, is that nobody has to be the star. We can just share it, you know. And Well, um, it's, it's common for even tiny cities to have wars going on among the arts organizations. Mm-hmm. The visual arts people don't like the performing arts, so the symphony doesn't like the ballet or all that. That's that's the norm everywhere. Uh, this cultural action plan helped, helped uh, Culture Works realize that we need to be proactive in putting in place things that allow for collaboration. Here's one thing we did right out of the box. Um, every uh, four times a year, Culture Works hosts what it calls the Big Cheese. We invite um, the head of every arts organization in town to come to our offices from 4:30 to 6 to have wine and cheese. So we invite the Big Cheese to come, mm-hmm. you know, wine and <laughs> snacks. That's what we call it. And there's no agenda at all, zero. There are no t- speeches, there are no talks, there's nothing. It's just an opportunity for you to see someone maybe you've never met before. Mm-hmm. It was at that gathering. Here's the, the most interesting example of in collaborations and friendships and people feeling good about each, knowing you as people rather mm-hmm. than just. Um, there's an organization in town called Legba Folklore Society run by Janine Bell. Mm-hmm. Another organization, and it's a African-American organization, African-American tradition, history, all of that. And Janine, um, uh, anyway, um, another organization, Spark School mm-hmm. for the Performing Arts, is is run by Ryan Ripperton. Mm-hmm. Ryan Ripperton and Janine Bell are from two different generations. Mm-hmm. One lily white Caucasian and one lily black uh, African American. Right. They had not known each other. They were at one of our big cheeses. They were standing next to each other, started talking. Turns out they're, they're both from North Carolina. Turns out they found it out, again, they're different generations, Mm -hmm. but they had each gone to the same elementary school, same middle school, same high school, same college, and (laughs) played in the bands of all of them. (laughs) So they're family from that point on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a whole, so this sort of, we do a variety of things at Culture Works that allow people to to see people as human beings, which I hope uh, has been one of the main elements in and uh, the fact there that there haven't been any major wars going on at least the mm-hmm. last few years in the arts in Richmond, and I hope that'll continue. That's a, and that's the, a thing that I, I've talked about a lot and 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 explored a lot in my own thinking and writing and all this kind of stuff. That it's really it's culture that either separates or brings us together. It's not it's not really a genetic thing that people tend to try to say it's a race thing within any particular actual breeding population which is really what we're talking about is like genes you know that select for certain color of skin and all of this kind of stuff there is no inherent like attitudes or behaviors or whatever it all comes from culture you know and uh, we actually share so much more culture than we than we give credit for you know we have so much more in common and culture constantly reminds us that and the things that that we have a hard time with are the differences in culture a lot of times and and these are negotiable things, you know. Um, and I, 
you know, I grew up in, in this neighborhood with people who had slightly different cultures, although we had the same complexions. You know, there were people from the Midwest and there were people from England and all over. And I, I got to pick and choose from that stuff. And that was definitely the, the encouraged and that was the attitude that there wasn't a prevailing thing around here. That the thing that is prevailing in Richmond had taken its business farther west, you know, that, that sort of old money or, or whatever kind of thing. It really just wasn't in Richmond anymore. They were like done with Richmond and moved out of here. And so the people that came to Richmond were all very eclectic. And I think the more that's celebrated, the more that's intentional, the more there's strategy around that, I think um, that's really the answer. And that's really amazing. How did I, I've been wanting to get into some of your past as we're talking about this, because when I was at VCU and working at Fox when we met, um, I was, you know, really like just kind of coming into the bloom of being interested in art and sculpture and music and all of that kind of stuff as like, you know, reason to be like just like obsessed with it and hungry for it. And um, and I made real judgments about people who weren't or whatever, like you're either cool or you're not cool. And I always remember thinking you were one of the coolest parents that came around there, but but always were in a suit. You're always coming from somewhere in a suit. And I knew that you worked for VCU, but I, you know, I didn't, I wouldn't have known that you were so interested in art or that it was something, you know, that drove you. And like, how did you get, like, what is your background in art? And, and how um, did you? My wife and I were uh, part of the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Yeah. We, uh, my hair was Hippies like this. Then? And, you know, I know what that means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Peace signs you, you we, held up. Uh, we both have uh, uh, three degrees in art, uh, mm-hmm. masters in painting and MFA in painting and undergraduate degree and you know did the MFAs in New York City and all that stuff. So so that was my background. I'll tell you one thing. Well, I thought you were cool, by the way, because you always spoke to me and treated me like, oh, you know. <laughs> most people think I'm an attorney. I, uh, just, I, I sort of backed in. My first uh, professional job out of New York City was starting an art program for a little college in South Georgia. Okay. And then I became that college's first fundraiser. And that's when I had to buy a tie and a suit and all mm-hmm. that. So ever since then, I've... Uh, for, so, you, you know, you had to put on the suit to go talk to the suits to get the money from Well, you, yeah. you know, it, when you're asking for money, it's a it's a whole different, you know, you, a whole different thing. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you know, you want to wear a tie and all that. Um, but uh, I don't know if you remember something I did at the uh, Strawberry Street Festival. I don't, I think maybe you were gone by then. Um, the, uh, have you been to the Strawberry Street Festival recently? Did I have Did you go to not. the last one this spring? No, I didn't. Oh, it was so cool. Yeah. A ton of people there. Uh, and anybody can go, you know, it's open. Um, it's like a block party, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of things. But we set up a, uh, a booth where, you know, you, you buy your tickets for a quarter or whatever, but and then you can use them at various booths. This was a screaming contest. You don't remember <laughs> that? Okay. No, I mean, the last I mean, time I went to that, I, I don't even remember. It, it was a long time ago. Yeah, it was when my kids were little, so mm-hmm. they participated. Basically, you go in and you scream at the top of your lungs and you have judges there, you get mm-hmm. scores and then at the end of the day, prizes for the for the winners. Uh, I think it was, um, do you remember a little kid named Hank Crone? Yeah. Uh, I think maybe Hank's mom was one of the judges um, and the Pearsall kid's father I think was one of them. But I, I conceived this thing and I lined up all the judges. It was really successful because every kid wanted to give in, come in there and scream at the top. Trevor 
Pierce Law won easily, hands mm-hmm. down. I don't know if you ever <laughs> met Trevor. I don't think I have. But, uh, uh, but the judges hated it. <laughs> they hated it. They wanted out of there after five minutes. All the other parents hated it. But the kids loved it so yeah. much. Um, the uh, So from that to a current thing, do you know about the Culture Works tattoo? No. Um, when the recession, again, we were we were formed at the bottom of the recession, so it was raging by the time we got up and going. Uh, I was watching as every funder, every funder, cut its money to the arts and increased its money for housing, hunger, jobs, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Because those are the essential things, right. and the arts are not essential in their right. minds. There's a, I, of course, uh, one thing I say is you give a man a sandwich and it, and it may sustain him for a couple of days. Right. But put a song in his heart, it's going to be with him his entire life. Mm-hmm. So which is more essential? Mm-hmm. So uh, the uh, governors of two states, uh, Kansas and Arizona, each wiped out the entire budget of their state arts council. First time this had happened. This was because of the recession. So I decided Culture Works needed to take a bold statement, uh, make a bold statement confirming our belief that the arts need to be permanent, enduring, essential parts of great communities. Mm-hmm. And they need to be considered that. Yeah. So we decided to embrace the most permanent and enduring personal art form there is, and that's marking one's skin mm-hmm. with a tattoo. Mm-hmm. So we said, what if we offer a real tattoo as an optional benefit to all of our grassroots donors? As soon as someone gives a lifetime total of as little as 150 bucks, if they want a real tattoo, we'll give it to them. Uh, first, we, and again, that would confirm their belief that the arts need to be considered permanent and during essential parts of great communities. We went to our major donors and said, are you going to get mad at us? Well, first, I looked around the country to find out another nonprofit organization that was doing this. Mm-hmm. I still think there's not one other doing it. I'm networked well nationally and still haven't found one. So we think we're the only one. Um, went to our major donors and said, we're thinking about doing this. And uh, after they heard the pitch, they said, fine. Went to the Jewish community. Tattoos are a whole different thing. The numbers during the Holocaust. Uh, yeah. um, most Jews believe that marking the body is is not a good, that right. you know God doesn't want you to do it. But after our Jewish donors heard the reasoning, they said, we won't get tattooed, but we applaud you. It's a, mm-hmm. So uh, that uh, then I found uh, the biggest tattoo um, shop owner in town, which is River City Tattoo. I think they have nine locations now. Uh, met Jessica Simmons, the owner. I said, here's what I want. I want you to give the tattoo free without ever charging us and um, treat us like your best customer. And she said, yes. Wow. Then we had to come up with an image, Curtis. We, we floated a lot of images. None of them worked. So uh, even uh, an image of Paul DePasquale's Connecticut, mm-hmm. the first artists in this land. Uh, but I checked with a couple of Indian tribes. They said, how dare a Caucasian <laughs> want to, you know, do anything related mm-hmm. to, you know. So I said, point taken. All right. <laughs> so I Googled world's oldest tattoo. Have you ever heard of Otzi the Iceman? Oh, Yeah. Uh-huh. On his body, he, he predates the mummies by hundreds right. of years. We found lots of just straight lines. Mm-hmm. And in one place on his body, this was found. Yeah. And I, I saw that uh, Suzanne... Suzanne Hall at the Virginia I got it. Museum. Yeah, she showed show. it. Right, right. Yeah. So um, 
Then I Googled the symbol. Does it mean anything? You know, is this a secret symbol for the Ku Klux Klan, mm-hmm. for example? And it doesn't mean anything. It's an obscure weather sign for something. Seems like it could be air, land, and water, you know, or something well, like that. The three, it it's, isn't. It's not being used by anyone. <laughs> right. Uh, Adidas now sometimes will, will use just the three lines, mm-hmm. but that was before. Right. So I said, we need to have a press conference, and at the press conference, we need to have 12 sort of famous persons in the Richmond region who are lifelong confirmed tattoo virgins. Mm-hmm. Suzanne Hall was one of them. She's got a following. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim Rothrock, who's my age, who's the uh, governor-appointed commissioner for aging and rehabilitative services. It's a governor appointee appointed mm-hmm. by the Republican governor. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Maggie Beckstoffer, who runs a marketing firm. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul DePasquale, he'd never had a tattoo. Um, but again, we get uh, the head of the, Jim Thomason, who is the head of the Corps of Engineers for this region, who's five years older than I am. Anyway, they all showed up at River City Tattoo and uh, had the news cameras and the journalists, and we announced that from this point on, anyone whose lifetime giving to Culture Works is $150 or more, if they want a tattoo, we send them to River City and they get this. Still bar. doing it? Yeah. And um, I said, we have 12 people here, each with a following in the Richmond region. Uh, one of them doesn't have the tattoo. It's Brooks Smith, who's a partner at the biggest law firm in town, Hutton Williams, and who's president of the Richmond Business Council. And Brooks will go back in the back room and the cameras can follow him and videotape while he gets his tattoo while you're watching. It's like, <laughs> Brooks got his on tape. Wow. during the press conference. Uh, this is a cool thing that, that happened in so Richmond. Cool. That um, is so cool. That is so cool. We've had, uh, and I'll tell you two offshoots of that. We got uh, two donations one day from two different people in New Jersey, a man and a woman. And so I called them. Uh, they were 150 buck donations each. I called them. I said, we don't get many donations. Culture works from New Jersey. <laughs> And uh, they said, well, we read about your tattoo in U.S. Airlines Flight Magazine. Wow. And we thought it was really cool. So we both have just given you 150 online. We're going to figure a time to come to Richmond and get our tattoos. So they drove down from New Jersey. It turns out they were 40-something-year-old people with white-collar jobs, a man and a woman who are boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, highly educated, all that, but have never had tattoos. They drove to Richmond. Uh, we had a bunch of us who met them at River City Tattoo on a Saturday morning. We gave them a gift basket. We gave them a Segway tour of the historic parts of the city. Then they came back um, that summer and brought his kids and her kids and stayed several days and kayaked and did other stuff. And then the other cool thing from the tattoo, uh, once a year, the tourism industry, the state tourism departments, uh, all go together somewhere for a convention the tourism officials from Hawaii and from Illinois and from Kansas, all over the country. Uh, and it's always in a major market city. Um, the last time it had been in Boston. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, Richmond was going to be the next destination. So the tourism folks here said they always hold their opening night receptions in some stodgy place like the Commonwealth Club or mm-hmm. something. We want to project the image that Richmond is really cool and mm-hmm. not that way. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have the opening reception. It said there'll be 800 or more people here from all over the country uh, at the uh, atrium of the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts. And we want the theme of the opening reception to be tattoos. 
would you be willing for CultureWorks to be there with um, temporary tattoos? We, we have a bunch of temporary ones you can try. Mm-hmm. And bowls of water everywhere. And we, we now have a video, uh, a song about the tattoo that's really good. Um, and have that playing on the screen. And have River City tattoos set up to give a real tattoo if anyone is so moved to donate 150 bucks and get wow. it. So 800 tourism professionals from every state in the United States came to the Virginia Museum. The theme that night was tattoos. The servers were all inked. Right. Uh, everybody had an opportunity to get one of our things in with the cloth and put it on. One person even gave 150 and got inked on site. So tourism offices all over the country know that Richmond is really cool. Wow. That's awesome. I I saw that Suzanne had done that, and that that's just that's perfect. Like, and and I I really quickly said I knew who you were talking about, the Iceman. But it, just in case anybody listening to this doesn't know, it's the Iceman that was discovered in a fjord in. It's in the Alps. In the somewhere. Alps. Yeah. Yeah. And he's eight thousand years old. Is that um, I can't remember. Something like he's Stone Age. Whatever the oldest mummy is with a tattoo, he predates them by about a thousand years. Yeah. Stone Age hunter. All of our tattoo people have a business card that we printed up, uh, and on uh, one side it shows the image of the tattoo, and then it tells the whole history, why they have it, all that sort of stuff. So that is so cool. And they love being asked about it. So that's a, I, I, I've been thinking about this and talking about this a lot, and a lot of the people that love Richmond, that do, that are really active in here, are concerned about if that attraction, if this becomes so attractive that what we attract is gentrification. And I don't like that word because I don't think it really, it doesn't really address what it is they're afraid of happening, truly. I mean, there's nothing wrong with people who have a little, who are a little solvent to move into Church Hill or Battery Park or whatever. That's not the problem. The problem is if, if it gets such a strong brand that people decide to come in here and just take it away from Richmonders, you know, like a lot of people with, you know, like on a, on a big scale, you know, because right now we do that. That is a wonderful thing, you know, to sort of to bring the people who don't see themselves as having that much in common together, you know, and, and really Richmond's always been great like that, you know, and that that's a wonderful thing to celebrate. That really is what we're about is that, you know, a lot of the the guys that do make the big money that are, are generally fairly cool people, you know. Um, even though the, maybe the people who consider themselves the owners of cool would know, would not know that. You know, you've been walking back and forth between these worlds for a long time, you know, hanging out with the artists and then going to those folks to ask for money. And we, it's our shared culture, and it's really wonderful to to get a symbol of something that old to say, you know, that is what that's what we all have in common. Is is you know, we all there's something creative that we all dig, you know. So it's. Cultural works can celebrate that and 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 elevate it and draw and put a spotlight spotlight on it and make it a practical thing, you know. And you guys have been doing a really good job of that. Um, what do you say to that fear that you know maybe a bunch of people that are total muggles to use the uh, Harry Potter thing that just don't get that magic at all just say hey it's a good, a good place to invest we'll just come in here and knock it out. What do you think the I, I think that's a real possibility. Yeah. Um, and I'll give an analogy. I like to fish. That's one of my favorite things to do. When we were living in rural South Georgia before moving to Richmond, we used to watch a fishing show called Frank White, the Fr- Southern Sportsman. Mm-hmm. And uh, one show I saw, he was in Columbia, Virginia, which is just upstream from Richmond, about, uh, I don't know, an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And he went to this little farm. 
and he said this is the coolest place there's a lake here that's about 20 acres and you can you can uh, go into the, the house where the nice couple lives and for I don't know 10 bucks they'll feed you breakfast then they'll let you take uh, one of the 12 little John boats that are docked there out and catch a ton of fish and so you go on the John boat and he catches tons of fish and um, goes back to the house and they feed him lunch and it's great and so I said in my mind if I ever get anywhere close to Columbia Virginia I'm gonna go over there and do this mm -hmm. so three years later I moved to Richmond I guess it was my second week here I found out where Columbia was drove over there found this place and I looked in the dock there were two John boats there both of them were sort of half filled with water the property looked not like it did on the TV show Rundown. Mm -hmm. I walked up, knocked on the door, and this sort of haggard-looking old lady came to the door. I said, I saw this place on television three years ago, and now I'm here, and I'm, do you still let people fish here for 10 bucks? And she said, uh, yeah. She said, both those boats leak, but there's a can in each one, and you can, you can bail them out. She said, after that TV show, everybody came here from everywhere. They put holes in my boats. They destroyed my property. My husband got a heart attack and died. Oh. This isn't the same place. And he said, and there are no fish left in the pond. Oh, wow. So, um, I, you know, any place that's the best river city in the United States, that, you know, it's, that's a danger for, for any place. And so it's, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen soon, but here's one thing we're doing to mitigate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and gentrification does indeed happen everywhere. My, uh, when uh, Janet and I first here, lived here, she had an art studio in Shaco Bottom, dirt mm -hmm. cheap. Yeah. Well, when that got gentrified, the building was plowed down, a parking lot, blah, blah, blah. And, mm -hmm. you know, artists, that's the nature. Artists go into an area that where the rent is low, and then it becomes cool because artists are there, and then it, right. the artists can't afford to live there anymore. Right. The, uh, there's an organization in... Started in Minneapolis called Art Space. Mm -hmm. They're a nonprofit organization. They now have 35 of what I'm getting ready to tell you around the country. They go into cities and they find an area that uh, is not economically um, blossoming. They build a facility there, the average type facility, uh, a facility for artists to have live work spaces, mm -hmm. a place where Curtis Payne lives and creates his artwork. Mm -hmm. And usually the facility has room for about 60 of these. On the ground floor, they have uh, uh, businesses that are open all day long. It might be an art gallery. It mm -hmm. might be a, a music shop. But coffee stuff shop. To, yeah, mm -hmm. coffee shop, that sort of stuff. So the idea is ground floor to have stuff that attracts people. The upper floors, artists live. Work. I know this. I've been in one of these places. Well, there's one in St. Paul. I think, yeah. A friend of mine lives in one of them. Yeah. They allow only people to live here who live there who make less than two thirds of the average income for the mm -hmm. area, and thereby it it qualifies for a special type of uh, low income tax credits. Mm -hmm. Art space goes in. They buy the property. They either build the building or they uh, renovate something that's already there, and they own it forever. And they buy these tax credits, or they make use of these tax credits in perpetuity forever. So no matter what happens to the surrounding, this will always be a, a building where artists can live cheap. That's the, awesome. In St. Paul, it's actually right in their area that's like 
Shaco Bottom, and they have the farmer's market for St. Paul is right in the middle of that, and it's an old warehouse building. They've they, done that with. Culture Works in the uh, city, um, city of Richmond's Department of uh, Community and Economic Development hosted a visit by Art Space to Richmond to take a look. We toured them around, saw places. Now we're finishing up their, uh, they do a marketing survey to see if there are enough artists who would want to live in a place like that. And mm-hmm. then in the next year or so, they'll start looking at properties. We're still probably three years away from them opening up one here, but we're on track now. But um, they in their presentation here, they showed one city, I can't remember where it was, before and after. The before was you know, bleak as far as the neighborhood. The after, here you've got this facility where 60 artists live and work. Across the street are the most expensive residences in the city, the most expensive condos. It's, you know, 1.2 million for a 1,500-square-foot mm-hmm. condo. This is the place to live. Yeah. And one reason people love living there is because they're cool artists. Right, right. Who, who can still afford to live there. So this is permanent. Again, it's only a very few artists, but that's... But that's, there, that's there are a great, no guards against that is a great thing to recognize that you can't tell capitalists what to do, you know, and, and especially if you want them to come and spend money and all of that kind of stuff, you can't say, oh, we, we don't want you here. No, you have to. But there's a way to preserve what it is that makes these places attractive and invite those people to come in because, you know, we definitely want that in the city so we can have a better tax base, mm-hmm. pay for schools, roads, parks, yeah. all that kind of stuff. But all of those people that are, are artists and they're not going to put their mind to making a million dollars to buy a uh, condo, but they will pay you know five hundred dollars a month or, or whatever. Right. That that that's like recognizing Hamilton Beach, recognizing they need the creative people in there. It's like recognizing Dave Brocky and the Symphony guy go together, and that you need the yin and the yang all the time, yeah. and and recognize that it is a practical investment in what gives value to the city, to the property, to all of that, to keep those people around there. It's almost like, you know, keeping the habitat, you know, that uh, for culture alive, the way that people do that for nature, right. you know, to preserve the the riverfront, to have birding preserves, you know, like artist preserves, really. Right. You know, a good and, analogy. And, and so that's wonderful to know that that's going on because I have been thinking like, well, instead of being like, no, no, please don't come here or fuck you or, or, or stay away, you know, why don't these all of the various artists get together and form something that is economically as powerful as some, you know, that kind of a thing, like, you know, form some kind of a co-op board or something like that and say, OK, well, we're going to buy this property and it's going to be our property. I mean, Slave Pit has done that. You know, they don't own the building, but they've always had a space like that. It, more and more you have to be proactive and in that instead of being like, fuck those people, let's say, OK, no, we just need a balance to that. You know, and it's really wonderful to know that there are people like, you know, you and, and organizations doing that. And individually, artists also have to say, no, we can't just be buffeted by the winds of this kind of thing. And, yeah. you know, you can't like everybody loves to say the East Village in New York's dead. I lived there for four years. You know, Giuliani came in there when I was there and cleaned up all the crime, shut down the drug dealers and all of that. And then investors came in and they built up new condos on the community gardens and all that sort of thing. And people like the people I was hanging around with that can't afford to live there anymore. And they don't live there right. anymore. And we say, oh, that's awful. That's That killed the East Village. Um, 
But uh, God, I forget what my point was going to be there. Oh, instead, you know, you maybe don't have the luxury your whole life of being able to pay three hundred and fifty dollars to live on East Seventh Street like I did at that point. You know, and you either can address that you're going to have to make more money to stay where you are, or accept that you're going to have to move on. Or third option, yeah, cre- you know, get involved with something like that, like Artworks, and create. Is that what the thing is called in Minneapolis? Art space. Art space. Yeah. Yeah, I was in one of those buildings. It's really cool. A friend of mine, she actually isn't an artist. She was making um, this these healthy popsicles, you right. know, but was able to do that. And she also got like some furniture company to give her a grant and outfitted the whole place with, you know, as a space for them to showcase their stuff. That's a really great answer to that. And I think it's like what I want to see is is positive, proactive responses to this, and instead of anger and fear yeah. and all of that, because that it just doesn't. It's not good for anybody, even to go around in that resentful space. That's not good for art right. to go around feeling like that. So that's really that's really cool. So that's somebody is trying to do something like that here now. And what is that group called? Art space. They, so it is art space yeah. here also. Okay, so that's a a national brand yes. that they're doing. Okay, but so I, I have really enjoyed hearing about all of uh, what you do. At, culture work. I are you retiring from uh, it? Tuesday was my last day at culture work oh, last so you, Tuesday. you have retired uh, okay. I'm, I'm I need I don't I'm not independently wealthy so I'm doing uh, contractual stuff for a handful of organizations mm-hmm. but, okay so where did you come from originally uh, born and raised in Nashville Tennessee okay and you, where'd you go to school? Uh, undergraduate Davidson, then a, a master's at Vanderbilt, and a MFA at City College of New York. And did you paint yourself, or did yeah, you have? Do, are you st- yeah, still, I still a painter? Paint. You still have you had, hung a show recently, or um, uh, a couple of years ago, I did a uh, a show that um, traveled for two years. Um, it went to nonprofit organizations in the greater Richmond area, as, as far away as. Uh, Ashland, Montpelier, Petersburg, etc. It'd be a, um, but also the Science Museum and and he was even up at Gallery Five for a month. It was a show that um, of paintings and uh, had prints based on the paintings. And at each venue, all the stuff was for sale, and the venue kept 100% of any sales that happened. Start off, do you know Positive Vibe Cafe? Mm-hmm. It yeah. opened uh, at Positive Vibe Cafe. They had about $6,000 worth of sales that they kept. Ended two years later at Glave Cosin Gallery on uh, uh, Main Street. Um, and um, but anyway, that was the last show I've had. That, uh, I think, ended in uh, maybe 2013, 2012. What inspired you to get into art when you did? I just, it wasn't any choice. Yeah. It was just part of me. Who were your heroes back in the... Oh, the, the same heroes. Uh, you know, I, I like uh, uh, ranging from. Uh, I do a lot of watercolor stuff, so Winslow Homer is one of my favorite all times. But, uh, but also, uh, you know, on the on the other end of the spectrum, uh, some of the uh, conceptualists, some of the, the people who broke a lot of that ground. Uh, you know, the Jackson Pollock type crowd. Mm-hmm. And then today, these these this kid at VCU I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last time I was over there interviewing sculpture students was uh, about 12 months ago. A woman, uh, I can't remember her name, um, a puppet artist, mm-hmm. 
makes big puppets. She also makes tiny puppets, and she does plays inside her mouth <laughs> and videotapes them. Wow. So she used her mouth for the stage? and the Yeah, and she even made a little proscenium where the mouth... Uh, and these are strange. One of them <laughs> shows this little puppet, and she has it on thin wire and a little puppet's leg. And he goes, he walks up, and he says, oh, that's a great-looking lake. And her mouth's filled with water. I think I'll go for a swim. Jumps in. Then all of a sudden you hear, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you see a, a hand go over there, drop a goldfish in. <laughs> and all of a sudden, oh, no, no. Then you see another hand come over and squirt some red food coloring in there. She says, ah. <laughs> but, so That's she's awesome. one of my heroes too. But she, she she does some really crazy stuff with these puppets inside her mouth. And when were you in New York? Was it, this, did you say the 70s? Yeah, that, 73 yeah. to 77. My, uh, uh, my wife worked on uh, one of the uh, uh, internationally best-known artworks, probably an artist you haven't heard of, uh, named Red Grooms, R-E-D Grooms. Uh, this was a company that's still important there, Creative Time. It was one of Creative Time's first projects. But Red had a uh, 20, uh, 15 artists that he called the Ruckus Construction Company, and they built a three-dimensional cartoon version of Manhattan. The World Trade Towers were 80 feet tall, uh, the Brooklyn Bridge was maybe 30 feet across with all these, the subway with real people and all that. It took them uh, a little over a year to build this thing. They built it at a at an IM Pay building when IM Pay was first a big name down mm-hmm. on 88 Pine Street. And then it toured internationally uh, for a few years. And you can get the hardcover book uh, called Ruckus Manhattan and Janet's pictures in there as part of the cruise. So we were we were right in the middle of a lot of stuff stuff in New York. And that was that was sort of when the Soho thing was that Soho when Soho was hot then. Yeah, that's that's the, when it uh, started, I guess, the seventies. And I, I know it was hot. I don't know when it started, but we were there at when it was. Yeah, you know, I remember one of the first Soho shows I went to. Um, you get to this building, and one of the galleries is up on the third floor, and you walk some stairs up. Have you heard of Vito Acconci? Uh, he was the bad boy in in the arts then, and uh, there were there were two shows I remember one was his and uh, I, I scarcely knew who Vito Acconci was except he was supposed to be a big deal and you walk in the room and you don't see anything except over in a corner the, the the room was I don't know eight times as big as this room it was a big room blank room nothing in it except over one corner the floor was sort of sloped up and then there was a, a tag on the wall so you walk over and read it and you say it said beneath this sloping floor lies Vito Acconci masturbating while you're standing here. <laughs> uh, then, um, but again, this was in the 70s in, in Soho. And then uh, another floor, that first time I went down there to art shows, <laughs> a whole big gallery, nothing in it. And we looked around, looked around, and finally way over there next to one wall was a little chair about that big. That was the only thing in the gallery. And it had some sort of tag about it. I love that's I love that kind of stuff. I mean, I really I like you know the old school classic stuff and the abstract expressionist, but I I really love that stuff that makes you just go, oh, I didn't know you could do that, you know. Or and and like I don't I never really studied the Duchamp thing, but what I understand is that you know he, my, what I've sort of acquired through cultural literacy is that he did things like sign urinals and and whatnot and and while that w- could be viewed as a um a gimmick or a stunt 
It also pointed out that what happens when you, say, do a representational painting of something, that you look at it, it passes through your brain, it comes out your hands, you know, you, you've been sort of the filter for it, and you've created whatever comes out of you when you do that. And, and he's sort of, what I understand is he's saying, I'm just going to skip that part where I um, make the thing and just highlight that, that process. I saw it. So you can just imagine, you know, it went through my brain. So just contemplate that for a minute, you know, contemplate the idea that we're abstracting it a bunch of different times, even if it's representational, you know, and Tom Robbins, one of my favorite writers, you know, he said um, that abstract expressionism is really not abstract. It's that's a, a real thing. Like you've made a painting that doesn't require a reference out and outside to yeah. exist, but when you transform a three-dimensional object into a two-dimensional space, then you've definitely abstracted it. <laughs> and uh, and that's so that sort of thing. I love th- I love that role of art always to get you know when people do that kind of stuff. It, you know we tend to think oh that's that's BS that he just painted a Campbell's soup can or whatever. No, he, he turned your perception on your ear and got you to be mindful about something you normally take for granted. Right. And uh, it seems that that ultimately is what cultural works is managing to accomplish and yeah we try not to be uh, not try not we intentionally are not judgmental about what is good art what is bad art all that sort of stuff we can't get into that so we're a champion for the you know the sixth grade mural project as Mm -hmm. well as for guar's new lead singer Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the idea that there is there's value in it and this, this this value is practical it's not just entertainment. It's not just recreation. That it's part of what makes innovation possible. Mm-hmm. It's the same mechanism right. working when a person does that. When they they trick you by laying under a floor, <laughs> right? Well, you know, it's that's the same thinking it takes to make a better blender. You know, that that's our tool making ability. Taking it all the way back to Stone Stone Age, right. you know, Hunter Man with the tattoo. You know, that's our thing. Is that we make stuff. You know, we're creative. Like for millions of years, our stone axes were, we held them in our hand and we made those just like birds make nests. And then something happened where we stuck a stick on that thing, you know, and that innovation, they're like, hmm, let me put these two things together. Let me put stick and rock together. Now I have a better axe. And that's the human thing, you know, and that drives every, you know, whether it's a, a rocket you know, or unfortunately a weapon, you know, or, a, you know, something, uh, some technology like that heals people, all of it, it's the human ability to create, you know, and to be creative and to form those connections, the pattern recognition, and then putting together new things. And it's, right. it's all very concrete. It's all very real. It's all very practical. It's like, it's almost like you guys, you know, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson talks about pure research and like going to the moon and things like this. These are practical things they yield technology they yield ideas they yield things that we use it's not a waste of money right we didn't get the collider here because congress said we don't that's ridiculous to spend that much money but have you watched particle fever the documentary of what went on in switzerland i have not 
you should check that I out. I know about the Collider, but I haven't seen Particle Fever. It's it's like watching a rock documentary or an right. art documentary. It yeah. was just as exciting for me. And all of the what is hinging on this for all of these people that on one hand, if the particle is this heavy, it means that all physics that we know now is junk, that sy- symmetry doesn't work, all of this stuff we think we've come up with yeah. is meaningless, that there's multiple universes and this is just one of them and there's no universal nothing. And if it's too light, if it's light enough, then symmetry works and we can, it's the central particle and all of that. Yeah. And it came up with something in between those two weights. And it, neither one of them are right. And there's right. just new physics out there. And all of that is creative and imaginative. Like they find this stuff through math. You know, they find it by making lines on chalkboards like that tattoo. And uh, it's just, you know, the. The less divisions we have, I mean, in, between all of these different disciplines, the more we realize this is these are all parts of the puzzle. Right. You know, this is the unified field theory of the human experience. You know, is that you got a little bit of pure creative art. You've got people using that to do mathematics to find things that they can't see. You've got people using it to make technology that they sell. All of this stuff has to go together. There is no one thing that we should put all of it into. Right. So. Bravo, sir. I appreciate what you're doing. And thanks for coming over. Thank you, Curtis. And talking to me. And uh, look forward to talking to you more. Good. Going forward. All right. Thanks.
Yeah. So that was cool, huh? Did you enjoy that? I did. I really did. I learned a lot. I really should do some more research sometimes before I get into these. But then I get to find out as you get to find out. Right? I forgot to say at the top of this thing, and I had decided I was going to do this, that, hey, my name is Curtis Payne, and this is my podcast, Tantric Conversations. But you might already know that. If you didn't know that, that's my name. So you can uh, sing my name from the rooftops and praise about how awesome I and this podcast are. Speaking of awesome, I have some awesome podcast conversations coming up with uh, Chip Cosby, Eric Manweller, a.k.a. Eric Hunter, Eric Hunter and the Distractions. Uh, man, those, those two came at a time that I really needed to just sit down and talk to a dude. After you've had a girl in your life, and if you're a girl, then it's after you've had a guy, after you've had a significant other, and maybe it doesn't, let's okay, let's be gender non-specific and gender queer, whatever. After you've been involved with somebody for a long time, and it's just one person, you got to get out there and have some good, intimate conversations with other people. In my case, it's other dudes, because I can connect with them and talk to them and, you know, get vulnerable and share and stuff, and I don't want to fuck them, you know, I'm just really like connecting on some level that has nothing to do with any possible desire to get with them, and there's no agenda, no motive, no other motivation other than to talk, and it removes some kind of chance for, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, bullshit? But in any case, both Chip and Eric, it was great, really great to sit down with those guys and and talk. So be looking forward to those. Those will be out the next two weeks. And also, Justin Gwamper Burdick, a Vales bass player, is has decided to slip into town. And I've been in contact with him. I'm going to get him over here on Sunday. Hopefully that'll go well. So far, that the last time I bragged that that was going to happen, it didn't jinx it. So it's not going to jinx it this time. And, hey, if you are listening to this podcast on a regular basis, I would appreciate your support. Otherwise, I'm going to have to go to Culture Works. We don't, we don't want that. That money should go to other people. 